0: Hi there, and welcome to Gay Men's Life Lab, the podcast that's all about personal growth for gay men. My name is Buck Dodson, and I'm a licensed therapist and board-certified life coach who's committed to helping you thrive. Each week, we go all in on what it takes to live a full and healthy life with loving relationships, engaging work, a sense of purpose, and all the joy you deserve. And of course, we do all this with our unique perspectives and experiences as gay men before we get into today's episode, if you want to learn more about me and the topics I discuss on this podcast, please visit buckdodson.com. And with that, thanks for tuning in and let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Gaiman's Life Lab. Buck here. How you doing? So this is part two of the uh, refresh how you date and uh, by becoming pro-dating quote-unquote pro-dating so uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the first episode i highly recommend you check that out because it lays the groundwork for this whole uh, idea of why we need to refresh our dating approach or refresh our our personal and collective and cultural approach to dating and my thought around that was really just I was calling it becoming pro dating, but really that's about becoming pro relationship as opposed to pro self. And certainly as opposed to being like anti dating or just discouraged or disillusioned or even just downright hopeless when it comes to dating, which is what I hear a lot and what personally I experience too sometimes. So that's why I wanted to record these episodes and give some more information and context and relatability and information about dating. If you are out there and wanting to date, or you are dating multiple people, or maybe you've, you're kind of more like seriously dating somebody, but you're not ready to fully commit. This is information for you, but if you're already in a long-term relationship, this is also good information because it really is about relationship skills in general. So this whole idea of uh, of being what i'm calling pro-dating is really about how to approach dating and the pursuit of a loving long-term relationship with a sense of optimism and eagerness and to see the dating process not just as a partner selection process but really as a relationship process itself so you know the emphasis i made in part 1 and the one i'll continue to to make in part 2 is that dating is in essence a form of relationship So how you approach dating, the way you treat your dates and dating partners is really a reflection of how you show up in relationships in general. Now, granted, I'm not suggesting that, you know, there aren't substantial differences between, you know, long-term relationships and a connection with a guy you're just meeting for the first time. Uh, What I'm suggesting, and uh, this is with the help of the work of Dr. Stan Tatkin, who I'll be referencing today and I gave you know, some more background about in part one. But with the help of Dr. Stan Tatkin's approach to what he calls secure functioning relationships, is that from the first point of contact, even if it's on a dating app, even as just chatting and messaging, we can be approaching our interactions with potential dates and potential relationship partners with the same mindset and guidelines and using the same skills that we use to create and sustain long-term relationships. And those are, I went through these in the first, but I'll give it a little refresher now. Uh, these, this, this mindset and these skills or characteristics of what Dr. Tatkin calls a secure functioning relationships are uh, there are five qualities. One is security. So we protect each other. So with dating, dating partners keep each other safe. Even if you don't know each other, uh, you protect each other. You look out for each other in some way. Number two is sensitivity. So, we are always being aware of each other's needs. Even with dating partners, you're aware of and responsive to the other person's needs, not just your own. Number three, justice and fairness. You know, that means we repair when there's a rupture. So, if we, if any hurts occur, if there's, you know, hurt feelings or something that got missed or misspoke, spoken, you move quickly to, make amends for that you repair that whether that's with an apology or or something like that number four collaboration you know we're in this together so dating partners recognize that they're in a joint exploration and that they can help one another learn about each other through this shared experience this joint exploration you know you're dating you're not you know but we also often see this as kind of this like adversarial kind of experience until we find that person. And then we can get mutual and and all that. But how about we kind of consider approaching that stranger with this idea of we're here to collaborate on something. We're not here to be adversaries and to just like pick each other apart and evaluate each other. Like we can actually acknowledge that we're in a joint exploration together. We're both seeking something and we can learn about each other. Through this, and number five is is what Stan Tatkin calls true mutuality. What he means by this is, you know, what is good for me is good for you. So in dating, you know, you practice recognizing that individual differences and relational styles and communication styles offer opportunities, not barriers, to supporting each other. We say in couples therapy sometimes that uh, differences aren't deficiencies. So that's part of what he's talking about. That. The here. We're going to be meeting people. You're going to be meeting people who are different than you. That's actually a good thing. So those are the characteristics of a secure functioning relationship. And I am was really inspired by Dr. Tatkins. Well, I use his work in my work with couples, but he wrote a book, Wired for Love, and then he wrote Wired for Dating. And uh, this is Wired for Dating, I was really inspired by that book. So this particular episode is really Kind of drawing upon this idea that by becoming pro dating and pro relationship and becoming really a pro at dating in some respects, you are going to be approaching this with this idea that, like, I'm going to bring these secure functioning relational characteristics and mindsets and skills into my dating life. So I'm going to talk to you about today rather than sort of lay out this more like meta concept about what that means to be pro-dating or pro-relationship and then you know in part 1 I also talked about some ways to just begin to get into the mindset of meeting people and the, and just to begin to even meet people and ways to do that and ways to leverage your network and your tribe or or even just you know to begin going out into the world and being more willing to engage and talk with people in a natural organic way not just on formal dates uh, so today I'm going to talk really about some core areas that I explore with clients who are looking for their their one, their beloved, their guy, or their gal, or their them, whatever the case may be. But this is also for the guys who I work with and and the the women too, who are in the early stages of, of dating, which varies for everyone. But let's say someone, you know, you could be on a first date, but you could also be dating someone and really be in a dating relationship. Where it's not a fully committed long-term relationship yet. That could be up. I mean, you could be dating someone for a year. So these are the areas I see, you know, where I see the most confusion and difficulty and distress and also where I see dating relationships really go sideways, often for lack of awareness about what's reasonable, what's normal, what's, what's healthy. So I want to help you avoid that and avoid prematurely walking away from a, a potential relationship too quickly. Uh, By not being skillful, not being mindful, or just not having enough support or not having enough help. So, as I get into these things, these ideas, these areas, one of the overarching themes I want to stress and want you to keep in mind is that all of this is about vulnerability. It's all a practice and vulnerability, vulnerability, uh, which is really a matter of, you know, I think Brene Brown talks about it this way. uncertainty, it's a combination of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. That's really what vulnerability, the experience of of it is. Uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. So clearly, that is dating, that is certainly relationship. So we can think about that. And I was actually just having a conversation with a colleague and dear friend yesterday about this. And we were talking about our own, we were like unpacking our vulnerabilities in relationships and specifically with with dating and so it really helped for each of us to identify an area that we were feeling a particular sense of vulnerability around and that we wanted some support and help around so it wasn't just like oh dating is hard it was like oh well actually let's break that down a little bit let's unpack that let's why is it hard what makes it hard and then and we got into each individually, like, oh, okay, this is what feels particularly vulnerable for me as, say, an introvert, or as a highly sensitive person, or as someone who is entering the dating world as a mid-40s guy as opposed to a guy in his early 30s, um, things like that. So just be mindful as I talk through these ideas of and I'm going to be giving a lot of information to you. this is like dating school, uh, but just be mindful that this is all a practice and vulnerability. And that you don't have to be quote unquote good at vulnerability going into dating. This is all a learning process and there's no right way. So let's get into this. So the first thing I see so often is uh, pacing and it's kind of related to what I was talking about just a minute ago about where dating could be like, I just met this person, I'm on a first date or dating could be like, I am dating this person. I've been dating this person for a year it means different things to different people but so often i see dating relationships die before they even have a chance to get off the ground and we all know how the story goes you know you meet a guy or a pot- potential partner of any gender identity and you become really excited and they start to consume your thoughts your feelings and sometimes in in nearly an instant you're infatuated and that infatuation which is a healthy and natural response and, and is a natural and important stage in the human bonding experience. You know, that infatuation is powerful. We all know that it's, it's visceral. It's a, it's like a mix of neurochemicals like dopamine and adrenaline and testosterone and oxytocin, just to name a few. You know, it's really like our brain on these quote unquote love chemicals and when we're infatuated and we first meet someone and we feel oh like so consumed we're really like in an altered state in a way so just like in any other altered state our judgment is is impaired in some respects it's not totally clear you know we're just in the throes of this intensity and we have these feelings of lust and attraction and those feelings of lust and attraction are not the same as attachment you know attachment relationships and just the attachment true attachment takes time like attachment requires an emotionally enduring relationship or bond happening over time you know you don't just become attached to someone you just meet you might feel like that but that's not actually what's happening you're feeling more you're more in the sort of infatuation that lust and attraction and all that so all that's very powerful and it feels so good you know feels great even and i think for gay men this can be especially intoxicating because we've often been waiting years entire lifetimes even to experience those feelings with another man so it's it's so powerful it's obviously consuming but it can feel like I'm almost like I'm okay being consumed by this because I've wanted it for so long and in a way like I deserve to feel this way. I get to feel this I've been wanting this for a long time. But, you know, just like just anything else in life. This is when we have to train ourselves to regulate and to modulate and moderate this stage in the dating process in the relationship forming process uh, so it doesn't take over and become the only data we're using to decide whether this is the right person for us you know if we only rely on the data that we're getting from the infatuation stage that very powerful early stage where we're chemically altered in a sense We're going to be missing a lot of information, information that we need and that is critically important to make a determination about who our partner is or who our partner is going to be. So what I oftentimes see here is, you know, sort of guys very quickly start spending all their time together. They're communicating around the clock. They're no longer considering any other potential partners and, and really almost like consuming each other. And this can be in a matter of weeks, even in a matter of a few dates. And and one or the other starts to form this kind of like pseudo attachment. So again, it sort of looks and feels like an attachment relationship. Like, oh, you're the one. Uh, but it but like I said before, it's it's not. Uh, but if we don't think about that and realize that, and we let ourselves just get so caught up in the sensations and the feelings and the in- intensity, we're we're gonna miss things. So I see guys go from dating to full on like relationship status during this infatuation stage. And perhaps because of it. And of course, that becomes problematic because it's, it is too much too soon. And then before there's really a chance for security and safety to really be established, that neurochemical love drug effect wears off. And then all the defenses and the walls come back up. And often this is when there's a kind of a premature expectation of a commitment. Or even a premature commitment for that matter. And when one of the dating partners begins to say like, hey, I actually, you know, think this has been feeling great and, you know, really enjoying this. And I'd like to maybe slow things down. And that's a reasonable response. And maybe that person is is kind of, you know, the, the infatuation is beginning to wear off and other feelings are starting to come online that are slower, And less intense and less intoxicating and less body altering. So maybe they bring up this idea that I'm not ready to make a decision about like us being in a relationship, a committed relationship, after just a few months. If one or both of the other partners, but you know, oftentimes the case is someone's moving more quickly than the other, which is totally natural. That almost always happens. Very rarely are people when dating kind of moving at the same pace. So say one person is like, okay, I'm kind of infatuation is wearing off and I'd like to still continue, but I'm not ready to make a commitment. Then the other person, if they're in infatuation, it's like a deal breaker. So they see that as rejection of the relationship. Like, oh, if you want to slow things down, if you want to begin to pace things a little bit different, then you must not be attracted to me, you know. Or if your feelings are not as intense as they've been over the last few weeks or months, then then oh, it must be a bad thing, and we're not right for each other. And that's not necessarily true. So the key is just to learn to recognize and make space for this phase, but really recognize it as a phase. It's a phase characterized by intensity, and there's a lot of sensation, and it's very you know it's challenging to not be consumed by that, and. And certainly, I would say make space to feel consumed, your thoughts and feelings and all that stuff. It's natural. You know, you're not, I'm not suggesting you try to shut that down. We just want to kind of recognize it for what it is and recognize that this is a phase in the process. Enjoy it. Uh, but let's not make decisions about long-term commitment and about the rightness or viability of the relationship based on these, these intense feelings. Because if you make big decisions or commitments during this stage, like becoming exclusive or moving in together or making a lot of future plans, you're kind of setting yourself up uh, because one person is invariably probably going to get overwhelmed and feel either like that's when their defenses are going to come up and be like, oh, I'm feeling smothered or I'm feeling like, and the other person's (laughs) going to feel like rejected, all that stuff. So, That's an opportunity to talk and begin to explore and and deepen your learning about each other. But so often people are just like, "Oh, that's a rejection." It's like if you're not as infatuated with me, then it must not be right. So that is not the case. So you do not have to make decisions about whether a person is a good fit for for you long term based on a few dates or a few months of dating. Give yourself and give the connection that you have between the two of you time. Give yourself time. So there's going to be some, some waxing and waning. That's okay. You, know, you might go through a period where, okay, now we're going kind to of slowing things down and there's not as intense. That doesn't mean anything's wrong. It just means you're, you're needing time to integrate more of what you're experiencing. These are very intense emotions and bonding is a very intense experience. So it's not going to all happen and shouldn't all happen in a rush. So if you feel like you're rushing, try to slow things down. And try to just enjoy it enjoy and, and again going back to vulnerability as uncertainty and risk and emotional exposure so often while we're try, why we try to move so quickly and lock it in is because we we think that we're going to somehow sort of bypass vulnerability we're going to bypass risk and uncertainty but there's no way to do that and that's going to be in a relationship regardless Yes, there will be security, there will be safety, there will be a lot of that, but there's always going to be vulnerability. There's always going to be emotional exposure. I work with couples who've been together a very long time, and they are daily continuing to work on uncertainty and taking risks with each other and and feeling vulnerable and practicing that. So the second thing I want to talk about is related to pacing, which is sex. So, you know, that's, you know, like, when is the right time? And is there a right time to start having sex when you're dating? And then what kind of sex? You know, so this is a really complex area for us, for gay, bi and queer men, because we define our own individual and social norms when it comes to sex. And, you know, honestly, I'm not even sure we have clear collective norms when it comes to sex, except for being generally speaking, a more sexual sexually open sexualized and sexualizing culture i believe on the whole we can be sex positive and that ultimately and i've talked about this before and my teachers and mentors and thought leaders out there have have talked about you know gay men queer men as sexual leaders and liberators so i believe that there's a great power we have when it comes to sex and there's also with that Responsibility to ourselves and to those we are here to help when it comes to sexual liberation and sexual power and owning that. So it's a mixed bag, you know. So we often grapple with a great deal of sexual shame, you know, literally shame about our sexual desires from homophobic and transphobic societies and religion and sexual abuse. And also, you add in that most of us miss out on the developmental experience of being guided. Into our sexuality, you know, both in terms of our sexual orientation identity, um, but also our erotic desires—the sort of queer birds and, and bees, if you will. You know, most of us aren't raised by queer parents, so who teach us that? Uh, so we we do what we do, and we go out in the world making it up on our own uh, when it comes to sex with each other and what when when is the right time? You know, we we write our own scripts around that. And we do that through our contact with our first sexual partners. Uh, yes, we have, most of us have heteronormative ideas about, quote unquote, the rules around sex because we're raised in generally heterosexual societies. But we very quickly realize that those don't necessarily apply. So the reason I bring this up, and although this isn't an episode on sex, I wanted to set a stage for understanding our sexuality. sexual feelings and thoughts and beliefs. And of course, what sexual choices we make. So when it comes to sex and dating, it's really kind of all over the map in a sense, you know, like, and I'm not going to pull like a, a Patty Stanger, you know, millionaire matchmaker and say something as prescriptive as like, you know, when it comes to dating, no sex until the third date. Like I'm, that's just not, that's not my style. I don't think that that's helpful. I think this is a part of our growth, your growth And you can use dating as your opportunity to define your own sexual boundaries and what sexual, the quote unquote, right timing is for you. And the right pacing is for you when it comes to sex and relationships. And I want to make a distinction here between relationship sex and like sport sex or in a more kind of anonymous or casual or hookup sex with dating sex. We're, we're thinking about relationship sex, ultimately. So even if you're on a first date and the two of you decide to have sex together, I want to encourage you to be more in the mindset and body set of relationship sex versus just anonymous sex. So I'm not going to be prescriptive because I don't think that that's helpful, like I said, but I do want to encourage you to consider slowing down when it comes to introducing sex into your dating life. And into a dating scenario and again i'm not suggesting you prescribe to any rigid sexual norms that don't align for you or i'm not denying that gay men's relationships have our own distinctions and that earlier sex may be a part of that distinction part of the bonding experience lots of people lots of long-term couples and you know you may be one of them listening had sex on the first night that they met or met as a hookup and then became a relationship. And now they've been together for 40 years. So that happens all the time. But what I want to suggest, the the groundwork for slowing down and the reason for this idea of pacing around sex is for two reasons. One, gay men tend to have difficulty establishing non-sexual relationships with other men because we have defined, we're defined by our sexual desires. It makes sense that this is the most readily available and accessible way for us to connect. When, since men in general in Patriarchal societies that we we are currently in aren't socialized to embrace their more relational qualities. You know, we often we lack skills in being pro relationship. So, sex and wanting to connect through sex is more like default for us, and we're maybe biologically or physiologically wired for that too. It's just easier, or whatever it might be. You know, there's plenty of nature and nurture stuff here, and I don't want to get into all that. But this idea of knowing that we may struggle because of our experiences with building non-sexual relationships with men, and that we tend to maybe minimize sex, maybe the meaning or the impact of sex on us because we can, just, we can have sex with people in a non-relational way, that we might miss something. There might be some some missing pieces there. So when it comes to dating and and creating a mindset that is pro-relationship, this is an opportunity for you to expand your idea of how you think about yourself sexually, how you think about men sexually. So waiting to have sex with someone you're dating allows for other pathways of connection to come online alongside and even before the acts of sex are introduced. So this establishes whether there's an attraction outside of lust. And also, you know, it's a protective factor against the risk of, well, I had sex and then I lost interest. I hear that a lot. Maybe you've experienced that a lot. I think that's often a result of the, I can only see guys as sexual objects, you know, or I can only let a guy see me as a sexual object because we're so over-identified and over-defined and maybe even over-developed around our sexual desires and sexual needs and and connecting sexually. So waiting to have sex just allows you to see, okay, so there's, let me practice developing my connections with other men in non-sexual ways. So the second reason that I suggest waiting or kind of slowing down is, and it's specific to, you know, gay men, but it's more of a general rule of thumb about how intimate sex is. So if you're intending to establish a secure functioning relationship, then you're signing on for a very high level of, of intimacy, which basically just means a high degree of closeness, emotional closeness, physical closeness, sexual closeness. And this can be a tall order for anyone. So if you're gay, bi or queer, you know, queer men, we tend to be more sensitive to rejection. And therefore, we need more safe, secure, trusting relationships to help us buffer against that and also become more resilient to it and and honestly, eventually become less sensitive to rejection. That's the goal. So if we try to, you know, fire hose, pun intended, ourselves with intimacy too fast, we risk getting flooded and overwhelmed and then becoming defensive and shutting down. So if you can titrate the intimacy that you're experiencing and developing and wanting to develop by not introducing so much at once, by throwing sex into the mix so quickly, you can allow your mind and your body and your central nervous system to expand to be able to hold more and tolerate more closeness. And you'll feel more safe or you'll feel safer, you'll feel more trusting, more secure, more grounded in it. And that's what we want. We we don't want you to have another experience of being flooded by closeness and then reacting to that by pulling away and going back into a narrative that, you know, relationships are unsafe because that's the past. That's the past. So we're trying to recover from that. But in order to do that, you know, we need to do something different. So point of story here, take your time. Contrary to the sexualized nature of queer media and often queer culture, there's no one quote-unquote gay way to sex. We, of all people, ought to be championing sexual liberation in the sense of it being both self-defined by our own boundaries and needs and also decided upon in communication and with the consent of our partners. Whether those are hookup partners, first or second dates, or people we've been dating for a year, or obviously people we're you know, in long-term relationships with. So sexual liberation doesn't just mean oh that means i don't ever pace myself when it comes to sex or moderate my my sexual feelings or desires or anything like that not at all sexual liberation includes self-regulation and of course includes security and safety and all of that so shifting kind of away from pacing a little bit um although all of this is is in a way pacing because it's all about developing intimacy and closeness which takes time i want to talk about communication this is like core 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 area that is central to being pro dating and being a pro at dating and of course being pro relationship in general so i'm going to spend a good chunk of time on this because it's it's where relationships make or break from the get-go and when it comes to communication there's communication skills, but there's also communication styles. And so I'm going to start with communication styles. And like I said, I'm not Patty Stanger. I'm not the millionaire matchmaker. I'm not a matchmaker. And I'm not a dating coach either. You know, I do relation coaching, but like I'm not a dating coach in the sense of like I don't help people create dating profiles or I don't specifically work with people on how to go out on a first date or anything like that. So I'm not in the business of giving out like rules, like don't text right away or don't send a message until you've heard from him first, or don't accept a date for Saturday after Thursday. Or, you know, what. It, there was that old book. What was it? The rules. Uh, I think it was literally called the rules. It came out, I don't know, like in the early, early aughts, maybe even before that, but that doesn't work for me. I, I don't, and it doesn't work for the people that I work with either, um, you know, because there's no perfect or even right way to do this. Like those supposed rules might offer some comfort and some a framework or a guideline, and, and that certainly can be helpful. But the fact is that being pro-dating and pro-relationship is, is being pro-risk, pro-reward too, of course. Uh, but you are signing on to be pro-risk, which as I defined earlier with vulnerability, uh, that means you're pro-vulnerability. So you got to be kind of pro uncertainty, pro emotional exposure and vulnerability is really the antithesis of an attempting to control everything, control your own feelings by not revealing your inner world or your truth to another person. Certainly, it's the opposite of trying to be perfect, which I think of as trying to not have any needs, um, you know, denying that you want and need people. So you try to fill that need by being an army of one who has to do it all? And, and, you know, that's a very stressful plate way to live. And then you end up putting so much pressure on yourself. I've, you know, I've talked about my own journey with perfectionism and kind of how it relates to disconnection from people. So the reason I'm framing this idea of communication being part of this vulnerability and part of this pro risk framework is because you're not going to. Just accept that you're not going to get communication right and neither are they, you know, you're going to learn how to communicate with each other. And again, this isn't, this isn't an episode about when to call. That's not what I'm talking about, but more of a bigger picture and deeper perspective that will help you become more skillful. At relationships in general so i'm going to talk about more about communication skills in just a second but one nuts and bolts communication suggestion i have which is in some respect kind of related to a communication style and that is you know what i will say is that early on in dating as you're getting to know each other i suggest using the phone as much as possible and that you reserve text for logistics you know texting can be an absolute mess when it comes to communicating feelings and certainly in helping someone feel secure and heard and safe and helping yourself get heard it's just fraught for misunderstanding and miscommunication and it's also kind of like we don't really have a lot of norms around texting i mean yes it's so it's we've accepted it as such a normal thing but texting really is so new to the human experience if you think about it and yeah, well, while we've all developed our own kind of style with it, it's still kind of like the Wild West. So there's a lot to be, there's just no like social norms around texting in, in some respects when it comes to what's okay with dating uh, and what's okay with building relationships. So I really want to encourage you to communicate as directly as possible using the phone or you know FaceTime or, or Zoom and obviously in person, wh- while you're still getting to know someone, and again, I'm not talking about. Certainly, there can be things around uh, logistics, and I'm not saying make a hard or fast rule about no texting, because there's certainly plenty of cool, fun stuff to to do with text. But I so often people become preoccupied about messages that they're trying to understand and. There's just so much miscommunication. Also, texting can be just very passive, you know, and certainly passive-aggressive, um, you know, where like picking up the phone requires more engagement. It's saying, in essence, I'm serious about this, and I, I'm serious about you, and I care enough about you and who you are and your feelings to face my own feelings and my own nervousness or resistance and tolerate my own vulnerability uh, to call you and you know let you hear my voice and talk with you live as opposed to in this passive way where i'm texting with you just just texting just isn't very relational and then you get into some people just aren't good texters i'm a i mean being a good gemini i uh, i text like I'm, i'm better now but i used to text like novels i was one of those people um I don't do that as much now because I get so annoyed with texting because it just is like, it feels like a lot of work. But, um, but then when I would get responses like from people where it was like really short or like a little fragment of something or um, you know, someone didn't use like enough exclamation points or something, I would create a story about that. And that is just not helpful. Uh, So talk on the phone as much as possible and get to know each other, develop develop a connection and again think of the phone or in person as being more pro vulnerability being more pro relationship as opposed to like let me hold back and i can kind of hide in some of my my ambivalence and i'll just text you because then i don't really feel like talking or maybe i do want to talk maybe i don't so um we want to challenge that and give yourself and him or her or them, the be the benefit of your full engagement. Take a risk, get in there. So uh, related to communication, this is a, a big one. This is more of a skill. But part of dating and relationships in general is really to beef up your, your listening skills And Stan Tatkin calls these Sherlocking, build your Sherlocking skills, which means, you know, when we're getting to know someone, we are learning to gather information and we're getting a lot of information about this person. So when you're on a date, you know, you're using, you're getting information and you're using this information to, you know, assess and evaluate if this person is a good fit for you, you're getting information about how do I respond emotionally or physically or how does my central nervous system feel when I'm in this person's presence? So this, this listening that I'm talking about in what Stan Tatkin calls Sherlocking is a deeper, a deeper listening, not, you know, yes, you'll get information and facts through, through small talk and through just general conversation or even chit chat, but that's just one source of information. This deeper listening or Sherlocking is about using all your senses to be gathering information about someone. So really, this is is really about mindfulness, paying mindful attention to this other person. And that really starts with recognizing that there is another person. you know, so often we're on we're on dates, but we're really kind of consumed with our own experience and we're almost consumed with evaluating the person. So I'm not suggesting you get consumed with evaluating whether this person is right for you, but rather that you be curious about them and see them and notice them. So just you know, paying attention to visual cues, paying attention to energy, to body language, to nonverbals. So getting beyond facts, or outward traits, or resumes, or even the things that the person says. Stan Tacken talks about this. Some things you can do with Sherlocking, you know, so think about if you're on a first date or you know, you're just kind of getting to know someone. Just notice their eye contact. Do they keep eye contact? Do they divert their eyes? You know, and also just like what's happening in their eyes in general. You know, do their eyes light up? You know, there's that saying, "Oh, his eyes lit up." Or you know, there's also the saying of like, like dead behind the eyes. You know, kind of notice that, or is their gaze really intense? Is there like an intense gaze where you feel like, oh, this is kind of, I'm almost feeling uncomfortable or, or something. Notice these things. And notice like, what What about his facial expressions? Is there a range of expression or is it more kind of limited? You know, does he smile? Does he laugh? Is there a warm energy coming from him? You know, is his body language more open or closed? You know, is he fidgety or, or does he seem uneasy? or you know on the contrary like overly casual overly comfortable like if you meet someone for the first time and this has happened to me before it's like you're a little like too relaxed um almost like that like it doesn't feel genuine almost like you're compensating for maybe your nervousness or your anxiety by sort of looking really quote unquote relaxed and cool and calm and chill but it's it's actually reading in a non-visual way or an energetic way is, is, is actually uncomfortable. And I'm seeing the uneasiness. And so, you know, as you're Sherlocking and paying attention to this, you may choose to respond to what you're observing, you know, and it's a first if it's a first date, you might observe that he's nervous looking around the restaurant or coffee shop, and you might want to ask, you know, if he would be more comfortable sitting somewhere else or, you know, going someplace else altogether, you know, or if, or if you're on a date and he's having a hard time maintaining eye contact, you might not want to ask him about this, you know, right away, but like consider if that's difficult for him in general, or if it's a, just a product of him being nervous or, you know, like eye contact is intimate. So it does tell you about a person's comfort or discomfort with emotional intimacy in a way. So, uh, you know you're just these are things that you're just noticing so again you're paying attention to more than just facts and certainly paying attention to more than just like lust and more than physical attraction this is all part of like a larger vetting process that you're wanting to do as as part of the the dating pro dating pro relationship process so, as you're noticing and as you're sure lacking, you know, just kind of notice how you're feeling, notice how you're reacting emotionally to, to all of this, and just kind of notice what's going on in your central nervous system. So, again, you need this information to evaluate if this person is a good fit, but it also helps you, you're focusing really intently on this other person. Rather than being consumed with your own thoughts and feelings and impulses and fears. And so what you're practicing is not like studying the person or like investigating them in some weird weird way. But just paying attention to them, noticing them, tracking them a little bit more. Like, oh, I'm curious about you. I'm, I'm, I'm tuning into you. Like that is a relationship skill that you're going to be using once you're in a relationship so start learning now also related to this these using this skill this kind of observational skill is it also helps it helps kind of balance out that part of you that may feel swept up in the throes of infatuation and that kind of like pink cloud so it can help you to ground a little bit to kind of calm your own central nervous system. And it can help you regulate to be like, oh, okay, you know, I'm feeling some things. I'm going to breathe. I've got a lot of thoughts and ideas and feelings and coursing through my mind and through my body. And I'm going to remember that I'm just going to be intentional and mindful about, it. let me also kind of be focusing on this other person. So again, relationship, not just self, this is a skill you're learning a lot. So one note on this that's important before I I shift gears is, is, is this does not all happen and should not happen all on a first date. You know, you're not trying to interview someone or interrogate them. This is why it's important to pace. Give yourself and your dating partner and this dating, potential dating relationship time to for this information to be gathered, time to get to know one another before deciding like you are a match or you're not a match and things like that. So Read books, listen to podcasts, take courses, join a coaching group like mine to develop your abilities to relate to other men. One of the biggest skills I see that needs development is listening effectively uh, so that's this is a, a core skill that you can use in dating to help you with dating, but it will be a core skill you use in relationship so learning how to listen effectively to notice and track and pay attention to all sorts of information about this other person. Also learning how to reveal yourself and experience someone else's mindful attention on you is is really important as well. And you know, I could do a whole workshop on that. And so really want to you know, just drive home this idea of learning how to listen and pay attention. And related to that is ask questions. You know, I think this is one of the most underdeveloped and underrated interpersonal skills when we think of it as a communication skill and it is, um, but Really asking questions is really about letting another person know that you're thinking about them and interested in them and curious about them. You know, when I work with couples, I give them an exercise where each partner takes turns being in this listener role. And the job of the listener is to show curiosity and to empathize and show their partner they're able to listen and tune in without getting defensive and without having to respond and talk about themselves. So it doesn't mean that they don't won't get an opportunity to talk about themselves. And it certainly doesn't mean that they're not having intense feelings in response to what their partner is saying or in response to what they're listening to. It's a practice in learning how to regulate my own feelings and thoughts and ideas while also tuning into you. So learning how to like ask questions, get curious. This is a big part of Dating and helping people that you're dating feel like you're engaged, feel like you're interested, you know, and if you're not interested and you're not curious, I want you to get curious about that. Like, sure. Yeah, maybe it's just this person that you just automatically have decided, like, oh, I'm not interested in this person. I'm not curious about them. But that tells me something about your own relational skills that could use some work. So you could use that opportunity as practice practice of like just being curious about someone who you know maybe you know you're not going to want a second date with them but like you can still ask questions and be human with them Uh, you can also reveal things about yourself Uh, so again using these opportunities to develop your interpersonal skills your relationship skills so listening effectively asking questions being curious this is a this is just really important and on another note to that is, or the other side to that is learning to reveal about yourself. So in that exercise that I give to the couples that I work with where one person is in the the listener role, well, the other person has a role in that too. And they're in what's called the initiator role. So they're in the role to reveal themselves so that means talking about themselves, their own thoughts, their own feelings, their inner world. So they're in the world of they're practicing being vulnerable and uh, exposing more of themselves, and also asking their partner to listen, asking their partner to um, to help them ultimately to feel seen, to feel heard, and to kind of help them feel maybe calmer or more reassured, something like that. So you know, we all want to be seen and heard. And when you're dating, we're evaluating whether consciously or not, this person gets me. And this happens through feeling heard. um, And we feel heard both through revealing ourselves and through listening. So, and when we feel heard, we feel less alone. We feel acknowledged. We feel validated. And these all help us to feel soothed. So to really want you to be practicing and and beefing up your skills around communication and specifically learning how to listen effectively and how to gather information, you know, Sherlock as as Stan Tatkin says, and then also learning how to reveal yourself, learning how to show more of your inner world. Uh, Some of you out there, your default is to ask questions. You know, so this is like, you're really good at asking questions. You're really good at being curious. You're really good at deflecting attention away from yourself into, and being in that listener role. But I want to offer a challenge, which is that you may not really be listening with as much empathy and attunement and genuine curiosity and desire to understand the other person as you are listening as a defense uh, against having the focus and attention on you. So that may not be the case for you, but it's something I see fairly often. So just kind of watch out if you are sort of a default question asker. I am a therapist and a coach, so you can imagine I kind of default to that and I have a tendency to, it's harder for me to reveal some things about myself. It's harder for me to talk about myself sometimes. So just something to be mindful of. On the flip side of that, watch out if you're not a question asker. This may be because you have a hard time knowing what to ask. It could also mean that you get nervous and that you default to maybe talking more rather than listening as a way to quell your anxiety. If you are someone who tends to maybe not ask as many questions, you may want to practice just slowing down. And, you know, a simple question, or it's not even a question necessarily, but you uh, can say, like, tell me more. Like, if you're not sure what to ask, you can just say, tell me more about that. You know, tell me more about that. Just be just like be curious. That's something else I see with folks who maybe tend to avoid questions and tend to go for more of the the talking approach is that they may be afraid to ask questions because they're going to hear something, either hear something they don't want to hear, but sometimes those folks can be, can tend to be problem solvers. And so it's like, oh, you're going to tell me something. And then I'm going to feel like it's like a problem I have to own and now do something about as opposed to just listen. So if you are someone who has a hard time Maybe slowing down and listening and being more curious. Check in with yourself and see if you're not conflating listening effectively with having to take on someone else's problem or take on someone else's emotion and like solve a problem for them. Because a part of listening effectively is knowing that you don't have to solve another person's problem. You have to own another person's feelings or own whatever problem they're they're bringing to you or own whatever they're asking you to listen to. So gather information, ask questions, reveal more about yourself. And as you're doing that, you know, you're getting a sense of whether your dating partner is emotionally attuned to you. Is he forthcoming? Does he overshare? And also what are some of the, and that's all intimacy boundaries. And then you're getting that sense too, of, you know, are you feeling like, are you emotionally attuned to this person or, or how, where are you having a hard time feeling emotionally attuned? So that communication piece is is really, really important. So because this is, you know, such a huge topic, there's so much that I could cover. So I can't get to all of it, but a couple of things that I wanted to just briefly mention and then would encourage you, and we'll put it in the show notes, to check out Wired for Dating by Stan Tatkin to get more information about the things that I'm talking about, but he really goes into some key pieces about knowing your relational style, knowing your attachment style. I actually like the language of relational style more than attachment because it just it's not so clinical. And so Stan Tatkin talks about folks who are you know, more securely attached or more insecurely attached. And he uses the terminology of people who are anchors, people who are islands and people who are waves. So I think it's a really great framework and paradigm. So it, and it's helpful in dating to understand like how you show up as an anchor or a wave or an Island. And then to understand as you're getting to know this other person and again, listening to who they are, I can get, I gather information. It's like, oh, am I, am I dating more of an island? Or am I dating more of a wave? Or am I dating more of an anchor? And like, how do I how do I work with them? How do I be in relationship with them? So in Wired for Dating, Stan Tacken talks about that, like some things to look out for. Like if you're an anchor dating a wave, what you need to know about that person's relational style and how to work with them. And then, of course, you know how to know about your own relational style. These are really important. Uh, and key and will be just almost everything when you get into a relationship. So, I want to encourage you to learn about your relational style as part of dating. And related to that, something I don't have time to get into today either is when we are in relationship, relationship brings up a lot of arousal in our central nervous system. You know that vulnerability that I was talking about that, we have a we have a visceral neurological response to that you know human bonding you know is a is a biological biochemical uh, process Stan Tatkin actually calls it the psycho his approach to couples therapy the psychobiological approach because it's a combination of psychology and biology that really is like what attachment is so you know we have these like this neurobiology that really comes alive when we're in relationships And it starts right away. So learning about your own central nervous system and learning how to regulate that and knowing, learning about the telltale signs of your nervous system when you're maybe over aroused or under aroused, this is all going to help you in dating because it will help you deal with dating nervousness. It will help you with managing your emotions and then certainly it will help you as you get into the work of tolerating vulnerability, tolerating frustration, <laughs> managing closeness and also distance, learning how to do that. So, your work, our work in relationship, is always a matter of—I've talked about this before—but a matter of self-regulation and co-regulation, self-regulation and interactive re- regulation. We're doing both at once, and it's a skill, and it's a skill we have to learn. So, get familiar with your nervous system as part of becoming good at dating. You can there's if you Google mindfulness, or you Google neuroscience, or you Google attachment, you will find all sorts of great information about how to manage and regulate your nervous system and to feel more calm and more soothed in relationship. So, uh, also one thing I, I wanted to mention is unfinished business and i'm not going to get into that uh in detail here but the the reason i wanted to bring it up as part of this becoming a pro at dating is that if you're say not over your ex or if you're not emotionally available if you know you're not emotionally available that means you have unfinished business and so you want to exercise caution about how you're approaching dating and how you're approaching getting into romantic intimate relationship. And now I'm not saying work on yourself and then you'll know how to be in a relationship. Absolutely not. That's a myth. You know that you can go off and be single and then that's going to like teach you how to be in a relationship. Nope. Being single does not teach you how to be partnered. Being partnered teaches you teaches you how to be partnered. But what I'm saying is that there are there are times in life when we're just not prepared to even date where you're just not there. You're not ready. It's not where you are in your, your process, your journey, your development. You know, I mean, there may be times you're intentional about that and it's not necessarily about, Oh, I'm working on some thing from my past, some unfinished business. You might be growing a business. You might be exploring the world, traveling. You might be really invested in making art or something like that. Maybe you are focused on, you know, maybe you're a single parent. You're really focused on parenting. Maybe it's a career transition. There are times in our lives where we're just not, we don't have the energy. We don't have the bandwidth. We don't have the desire even to really focus on dating and long-term relationships. And by the way, this happens in long-term relationships too, where the relationship, while always a priority, may, there may, there will be times in life in any healthy long-term relationship where it is perhaps deprioritized for one or both of the the parties so that they can pursue certain other other things in life you know our relationships aren't everything you know they're they're key and they're fundamental they their core they're not everything so you know if you're in a place in your life whether it's you're dealing with unfinished business or you're just not wanting to be in a romantic relationship really want to stress and emphasize. You still need to be pro relationship. You're just pro other kinds of relationships. So maybe friendships, family of choice, family of origin, colleagues, community, whatever it might be. So just really want to emphasize that you check in with yourself around what is my unfinished business? And this really shows up around ambivalence. In dating you know there's so there's a lot of ambivalent uh, ambivalence out there meaning people active on the dating scene who don't know if they want to be in a relationship or not or who maybe part of them does part of them doesn't now granted we all have mixed and often conflicting feelings about relationships so and about everything really in life so that's not a deal breaker at all however it can be a real setup if you're not aware of your own conflicting feelings about relationships and or you're assuming your dating partners don't have any conflicting feelings. We all have some resistance. It's just a matter of degree. You know, if your ambivalence is serious enough that you're not going to be able to make an emotional commitment to to work on your conflicting feelings by being in a committed romantic relationship, then you're not likely ready to be in one. So you so you'd be you'd be better to focus on other those other kinds of relationships that i that i just mentioned and really focus on building your relationships and interpersonal skills in non-romantic relationships and learn about yourself that way and this will serve you in your ambivalence and kind of conflicting feelings and and resistances to to long-term relationships and so kind of really looking at that unfinished business specifically around ambivalence and uh, and one thing I really want to uh, note here around ambivalence, this is something I talk about with clients is, uh, reality versus reality reasons versus unreality reasons when it comes to the stories that we tell ourselves or like the feelings that we have. And my my colleague and my friend that I referenced earlier in the episode, where we, we were talking yesterday about our own dating lives and vulnerabilities, she was saying, she lives in Arizona. So she was saying, yo, I have this story that like, There are no good men in Arizona, you know, so of course we, we joked about that because I can, I, when I'm frustrated and in my down place, I can be like, oh yeah, there's no good men in Austin, Texas, you know, or there's no available single men who want to be with me in Austin, Texas, or who I want to be with. It's like this thing that we, the story that we tell ourselves and it can feel really real. um, But it really is a, it's a, it's kind of an unreality thing that we're actually dealing with which is you know there's some fear about that or there's some you know sure i can say i can spout statistics that like in austin texas where i live you know the average age i think with the median age or whatever is like 28 Uh, it's something you know pretty young and i'm 46 and so uh, you know for the most part i probably you know would date guys who are like at least over the early 30s so it's like Well, okay, well, if most of the people here aren't closer to my age, then I guess, you know, it's like I create some story that like, there's not someone here for me, but that's an unreality reason. There's something more, there's something kind of more unconscious for me about that. There's something, there's an unfinished business element to that, that probably needs some exploration. So just be on the lookout for that and use dating and use a relationship as an opportunity to, to look at that and learn about yourself and learn about the other person. So one caveat to all this is kind of about unfinished business is about gay shame. You know, we don't heal our gay shame and our internalized homophobia and homo-hatred and homo-rage in a vacuum. So you will not heal it through also your heterosexual friends, no matter how emotionally attuned they are. You will only heal and learn to accept and love yourself as a gay by a queer person by experiencing the love and acceptance from and giving love and acceptance to other gay by and, uh, People, so we need to be in relationship and exploring closeness and intimacy with other. If you're a gay man with other gay men, so when it comes to unfinished business around gay shame, that is an area that's more. Yes, it may be to the extent that it's so serious that you can't like get into a relationship. But I want to encourage you that that is something that relationship is going to heal and. We need partnership to truly heal that, I believe. So um, the last thing I want to leave you with this, and I know this is a long episode, but again, you know, lots here and you can listen to it in chunks or however you want to do. But this is something I may have mentioned it on the podcast before, but it's something that my therapist said to me and it really stuck and it struck me and stuck with me. And I'm going to share it with you because I've shared it with clients a lot but it's that we create Mr. Right. We don't find Mr. Right. So I found that very freeing and other uh, clients of mine have found that freeing too, because if you can let go of your, this attempt to find Mr. Right and instead focus on creating Mr. Right, this is, this allows you it's, it's, well, it's just so important for us as gay by and queer men in particular because we have to spend a lot of time and energy in our lives finding our own way. You know, And there's a great deal of pain and trauma that comes with living as a queer person in the world today. And the likelihood of you finding a man and that man finding you in a place where you're both, you know, quote unquote, like completely prepared and ready and available for serious relationship without some work together, that's unlikely. You know, and I'm not saying there aren't red flag situations or what I was just referring to about, you know, unfinished business or ambivalence to the you know degree that it is going to preclude you from really being ready or able and, and truly available to build a, a relationship with someone in a, a romantic sense. I'm not saying that because there are certainly issues that preclude the ability to create Mr. Right, like addiction or anything like that. Um, Or someone who's really like acutely grieving or, or maybe currently in another relationship or or narcissistic. Um, That's not a like, let's work on making each other Mr. Right. But, you know, like making Mr. Right, if you're, if you're not having sex right out of the gate, or if you, or if you are, but you don't know how to effectively communicate your feelings with each other yet, or if one or both of you is feeling anxious or, or wanting to distance, then those are all workable, like create Mr. Right scenarios, like communication styles are a create mr right scenarios pacing is a create mr right scenario learning to like ask each other questions and and also managing like your own nervous system those are all like you're learning how to be mr right for each other so give yourself that chance give him that chance give your potential partnership that chance because you know if you're expecting that it's all just going to happen like with the snap of a finger or that you're just like magically it's just going to be this ideal relationship that's more of a fantasy and sure that's great if that's a you know allow yourself to wish for that and just like say it like oh i wish it could be that easy i wish it would just be like delivered to me but that's not reality and if you can give yourself and him more space for there to be reality, then you can have a, you have a chance and you can have real, real connection, real love and healing and security, but it's going to take some, some, a different mindset and a different approach than maybe you've, you've had before. So um, finally, I'm going to leave you with uh, one thing, which is that it's not about you. (laughs) Like 95% of, of what other people do is, is about them. It's not about you. So don't make decisions in your head about other people's actions. If someone ghosts you, don't let yourself go down the see all men are assholes. And this is why I can't trust anyone or like gay men, you know, blah, 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 like for sure. Someone who ghosts you is not being relational. You know, I've ghosted and it's a dick move for sure. But that's about my inability and unwillingness to be honest and to be relational. It's not about you. So, you know, or if or if a guy finds you you find a guy attractive and he doesn't feel the same, you know, don't use that as an opportunity to self-attack and build your case about why you're not attractive or no guy you're attracted to is going to be attracted to you. Like shift your perspective and consider that perhaps you might be missing some information. You know, many of us are so programmed to be even attracted to certain type of people with a very specific set of physical traits and characteristics and we become just like, we're, we're not even conscious of how rigid some of those, some of those ideas are. And then we'll kind of use that to like beat ourselves up later. So, you know, I could get into, you know, so much more about that, but, um, but I just wanted to leave you with this idea. It's like just a good rule of thumb to be thinking about. It's not about me, you know, and it can feel about you. <laughs> and, you know, if someone doesn't want to date you or doesn't find you attractive or whatever it might be like, sure, it's going to sting. It might hurt. You're going to have some feelings about that. That's okay. Those are just your feelings. That doesn't need to become though uh, a way for you to self attack or even to attack other men. So, on that note, I'm going to wrap because I know it's a lot. Of these are uh, this has been a long episode. The last episode was a long episode and, you know, as always, there's more to talk about. Uh, and, you know, if you want more to talk about, you can always uh, reach out to me and we can talk about working together. That is you know, working on relationships, whether it's helping couples or helping people get into relationships or just like work on their own relational selves. That is the, 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 my love. That's my passion. That's the bread and butter of what I do. So, you know, if you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, you're working on a relationship, consider reaching out to me. Consider coaching with me. Uh, you know, if you're in Texas, you can consider seeing me for, for therapy. Uh, and you can learn more about me at buckdotson.com. But the take home here with all of this is if you're wanting to get into a relationship, then start thinking of finding a partner as you being in relationship. And just like anyone in a relationship, you need other people in the process. So talk candidly, frequently, and earnestly about how things are going in your dating journey. Involve other people in this process. Don't go it alone. And if you find yourself beating up on men or the process or the gay community or, or yourself in the dating process, and you're feeling really discouraged, and dissolution certainly be talking about that but also consider taking a pause checking in with yourself let yourself you know feel the struggle talk through it with safe people identify where your vulnerability learning edge is and you know take a break short or extend it if you need to um, and then get out, get back out there tweak your approach challenge your assumptions and as always you know since this is gay men's life lab experiment 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 you know, dating is a laboratory for your intimate partnership life. So get out there, experiment, learn, try different things. So with that, that's it. That's all I have for uh, refreshing your approach to dating. I'm excited uh, that you're all going to go out there and be amazing daters. And we're going to shift the whole narrative about dating. And uh, I'm right there with you. So I would always love to hear from you and thank you for listening. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Gaiman's Life Lab. If you liked what you heard, I'd love for you to head over to iTunes and subscribe. While you're there, please consider giving the show a quick rating and maybe share an episode with your friends, loved ones, and colleagues. And if you want more information, visit buckdotson.com. Find me on Instagram and Facebook at, at BuckDotsonCoaching, and on my YouTube channel, Buck Dotson Coaching and Counseling. And remember that personal growth and creating the life relationships and work you want as a gay man is a process. So take one step at a time, rest when you need it, show yourself compassion and ask for help along the way. Thanks. And I'll see you next time.